That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. It's almost Valentine's Day. What mm. you getting, Jake? Uh, I don't know. I'll probably. Uh, Melina what, Smith. I don't know, but I'm glad Valentine's Day isn't in Lent. This time around, so uh, I'm pretty excited. Sweet. We'll probably, you know, I don't know, do something sweet. So huge involve teddy the kids. Bear. Yeah, definitely some. Uh, you know, nothing says love like CVS chocolate. Mm. So Russell Stover is my love <laughs> yeah. language. It's really good that you knew the name of that chocolate because there um, goes another sponsor, mm-hmm. potential sponsor. Mm, that's right. Russell We're only Stover, sponsored by you, listening. our listeners. Mm-hmm. Donors to Mockingbird. How you doing, Jake? I am doing well and uh, hanging in there and uh, just, um, yeah, moving through the year. And yourself? Yeah. Also, uh, yeah, mo- moving right along, to quote Fozzie and Kermit. Uh, I feel like 2022 is shaping up to be another just kind of lightning fast year where we are used to all the, you know, everything that felt simultaneously slowed down and uh, accelerated in COVID just seems to kind of continue. So our fellow ministers of the gospel out there preaching, we're glad to be able to help you. And, and we continue to receive really incredible feedback. So thank you so much for all that you are doing. As the time that this airs or drops or whatever the correct verb is, uh, you will, many of you will have joined us for our Lenten preaching uh, Zoom virtual gathering, which is, uh, you know, actually recording about a week before that happens right now. But uh, just so stoked to see so many people signing up for that to hear about um, how to mm. preach good so that your congregation <laughs> can be good too. Just kidding. That's know, and, a uh, Zoolander reference. I do want to say we're a couple of weeks out still from Lent. And uh, if you don't have Sunday school curriculum for Lent, well, it's never too late, and you can look up storymakersnyc.com uh, and uh, get yourself all your Lenten goodies. So um, there is amazing curriculum. It is quickly growing, and it is uh, really making the faith accessible to a lot of kids uh, by not only sharing the gospel, but connecting the gospel with both uh, the social and emotional aspects of life and just everyday life. So uh, check it out, Storymakers NYC. I will say that the illustration of the Holy Spirit that recently appeared on Storymakers social media was brilliant. I loved it. It made me Nothing feel happy. Nothing but art. And we're cool. actually, I think they're going to make it into a tie-dye t-shirt for summer wear. So uh, you can wear it on Pentecost Sunday and uh, every Sunday preceding. It also, it, he looked a little bit like the Kool-Aid man, which I thought was pretty awesome. I, I thought it was brilliant. So uh, stay tuned. But Because uh, the Kool-Aid man just like busts in, just breaks down the walls like a Pentecost. That's um, right. But don't miss your chance, Storymakers. Let's get to the text. How's no, no, that, no, Jake. Aaron? One more thing. Oh. One more thing. 
One so it's thing. February as you're listening to this, folks, which means uh, in April, which is right around the corner, the Mockingbird Conference returns in person Ooh. to New York. So just go to ember.com, get the information there, sign up. Don't miss it. It's going to be great. I am really thrilled about that. And it will be in the historic St. George's Church in New York City. So Where once a guy was shot from the balcony, but you have to come to right. find out that story. Absolutely. Good. Well, um, our readings for today are very exciting. It's Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. And then we make our way to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 12 through 20. And then Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 26. Uh, by the way, the collect for this Sunday is on fire. If it you're really not an Episcopalian... Is. Become one, just so you can pray this. Well, you can do it if you're a non-denom person. Just bring this in. Just steal a little, borrow a little bit from the Book of Common Prayer. Listen to this, y'all. O God, the strength of all who put their trust in you, mercifully accept our prayers. And because in our weakness we can do nothing good without you, give us the help of your grace. So just note that you begin with this low anthropology statement of mm-hmm. our weakness and that it's not that we can do things a little bit good with you without you but we need you for the last 50 percent or the last 10 percent or even the 90 percent <laughs> we give our 10 percent it's no we can do nothing good without you so and we'll see this low anthropology show up right away in this jeremiah reading so mm-hmm. let's get into it thank you jake yeah. for allowing me to digress a little bit so mm-hmm. yeah what what are you going to say about this cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and then you're going to raise your bony finger and point mm-hmm. at the people in your congregation who fall into this category what are you how are you mm-hmm. going to preach this well you know before that i would, would encourage uh, every preacher to go back and read uh, jeremiah chapter 17 verses 1 through 4 to get the context and this is where uh, god is laying out his accusation against uh, against uh, judah and basically he's he opens it up by saying the sin of Judah is written with the pen of iron and with a point of a diamond. I mean, it doesn't get any more serious than that. And it is engraved on the tablet of their heart, a.k.a. their conscience. And to illustrate it more, he takes it into a religious kind of imagery on the horns of your altar. And so uh, he basically lays this out. I will cause you to serve your enemies in the land which you don't know, for you have kindled a fire in my anger which shall burn forever. And so you see kind of what uh, life looks like. This is the context. Life in light of kind of what appears to be God's judgment. And this begins to make sense of kind of Jeremiah in the sense of our life oftentimes seems like it's lived in light of God's judgment. We're all getting older. We all have a struggle. We all have something that, that you know, uh, just doesn't seem right, that seems like, you know, has come against us. And, um, and uh, this is where Jeremiah basically lays it out. In the midst of trials and in the midst of sufferings, um, uh, there's basically two options. You know, there's the way of works and there's the way of faith. And uh, you see, the cursed are those who trust in mere mortals, make their mere flesh their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. Uh, This is what life looks like as a sinner. This is us trying to take control. And then there's the second half of this, which is the other way, which is blessed are those who trust in the Lord and whose trust is in the Lord. 
This is, and it harkens back to Psalm 1 and harkens back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, but, um, but it is this two ways. And then basically, you know, you ask me how he knows I live. He lives inside my heart. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. Um, you know, this kind of devious... Uh, 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 Jeremiah makes it clear that the heart is not some sort of like pure instrument in the human. I remember talking to Mormon missionaries one time. They were like, before we begin, we'd just like you to pray that, uh, you know, your heart would be strangely warmed and you would know this to be true. And I was like, man, that could be indigestion. That could be a lot of things. The heart is a big mess. And whenever people talk about how they just kind of feel it or their hearts, I always take them back to this uh, particular passage and say, you know, your heart is is um, your heart's not uh, not an instrument of truth. Yeah, so... Uh, I said all, a lot. Those, Sorry about that. Did those... No, it's, Jake, that's that's why we're here. Did those uh, LDS missionaries uh, give a shout-out to John Wesley for stealing his line? <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, they didn't. But I literally talked to them. I literally talked to them for like for like 40 stops. My kids were like, can we get off now? And um, anyway, no. And I talked you know, to them all the way into Brooklyn. You know, Prince, the musician, Prince, Prince, mm -hmm. uh, was a Jehovah's Witness, another yeah, non-Trinitarian non yeah. group of folks. And um, he would actually knock on doors, like he would go around. So I'll tell mm -hmm. you, that's he's the one person, may he rest in peace, where he's still alive. He's the one person I would let talk to me about. The Jehovah's Witness. I would not change my mind, <laughs> but I would hang out. Uh, all right. So this passage, yeah, I mean, I think you've kind of captured it, Jake. It's There's two kinds of ways to live. Cursed are the people who trust in mere mortals. Cursed are the people who trust in uh, human, like human understanding. And, uh, and you know, Jeremiah's clear the result of that. You're like a shrub in the desert. <laughs> uh, you're like a tumbleweed, dust in the wind, to quote Kansas. But... Uh, then there's this the other type of person, which is the person whose trust is in the Lord. And our human moralistic ears tend to think of this as the good people who follow all the God and church rules will have their life turn out great. If you trust in, in if you do bad things, your life will go bad. If you do good, God will reward you with good stuff. And that's not what the passage says. Yeah. It says there are two kinds of people. You either trust in mere mortals and flesh, meaning yourself and the world and all that stuff, uh, the approval of other people, the building up of your resume, uh, how attractive you are and how that gets people to like you or how successful you are. How, like That's all this sort of ego-driven life. Yeah, if you and trust I think in it's that, important. you'll be empty, but or you trust in the Lord. It's not mm -hmm. like if you're if you if you live like Brett Michaels, you're going to go to hell. But if you live like Mother Teresa, you're going to go to heaven. That's not, it's like who do you trust? Neither yeah. one of these people is sort of like saved or damned based on being good or bad. It's just do you mm. trust yourself and the world, or do you trust God? And it's yeah. it's very much as you've. Uh, laid it out there, Jake. And it's important to note as the Christian and as a preacher, you need to tell the, your congregation that um, in the Christian, both of these exist at the same time. <laughs> you know what I mean? As the Christian, uh, I mean, semel justus et peccator, as the old saying goes. I mean, I am trusting uh, in mere mortals, and I am trusting in my own strength, and I am gritting my teeth. And at the same time, I am uh, by faith uh, clinging to Jesus. And um, and I'm like a tree planted by water, sending out roots by the stream. So uh, for the Christian, it's not either or, it is both and. 
And this is how uh, you preach the gospel. So what do I do? I'm, I'm two-minded, you know what I mean? And, uh, and it says, this moment, I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart. If your God is hid in the law, uh, this is a very terrifying, terrifying thing, and you will continue to split and be mm. a dual-minded, and you will never confess uh, curse or the, confess the side, the, curse, the part of you that trusts mortals. You'll always be putting up the front and gritting your teeth of the one who blessed are those who trust the Lord. But, you know, when you begin to realize that the Lord tests the mind and searches the heart, this is the kind, merciful God whose property, as we pray, is always to have mercy in Jesus Christ. Hmm. And he sees you and he's forgiven you. Uh, well, uh, then you begin to understand that he has given to all according to their ways, according to the fruits of their doing. He has given you all of his grace, all of his mercy. And so That's that right. part of you that exists that is always trusting in your mortals, you're free to confess it daily. You're free to say, man, save me, Lord, from this. And what you begin to hear in that confession is the blessed one who trusts in the Lord. You know, yeah. it, it, it really, so, and then all of a sudden the compartmentalization ends and, uh, and really um, wholeness can begin to occur in a person. Yeah. So if you're preaching this passage, you just, you, you know, tease it up pretty well. Like you give some examples of what it looks like to trust in mere mortals, to trust in flesh whether that's social media followers or politics or other kinds of identity markers that we trust in to give ourselves our value and talk about how that leaves you kind of high and dry. And, mm. um, you know, Mariah Carey with her 19 number one hits still feeling like deep inadequacy or Johnny Manziel, Johnny Football, feel like he's going to just be the, you know, God's greatest gift to the NFL and totally flames out. Like there's all these examples of people who put their trust in the world and the flesh and all these systems of human uh, performance, and it's just a total failure. And um, yeah. and so the idea is to trust in God, not yourself. And you can't do that very well because as this passage says in verse 9, the heart is devious above all else. This is ground zero for low anthropology. Um, the And as you said, the kind of the logic of this passage is really cool. Like, so the heart is devious. The only one who really understands it and knows full well how devious and mixed it is, is the Lord. And so he gives you according to your ways. And that sounds a little scary at first, but we know in light of the New Testament and the ministry and work of Jesus Christ, that what he gives us in light of our ways and the, our doings and all that, he gives us Jesus. He gives us a savior. Yeah. Amen. Um, and so we can be honest about, as you said, we are simultaneously justified in sinners. We can, we do trust in our flesh. We do trust in human systems of performance, and we're totally bought into that culture, and yet we trust in Jesus, and we do both at the same time, which is, you know, we need a Savior, which is why that collect begins by saying, uh, we can't do anything without God. So, mm. the good news of the the, the Joan Jett problem, the uh, the black heart of humankind. Mm. That's yeah, the and then name the, of the of Joan Jett's band, the Black Hearts. By I, the way, I That's love it. I yeah, actually, uh, um, the drummer used to attend Calvary St. George's. So um, shut the front door. T- no, not at all. Why did you excommunicate so, her? Uh, him. Uh, so um, Tommy. Well, they moved to Texas, but they're amazing oh. people. Ooh. So and um, are they living anywhere near Waco? Maybe I can. Uh, I think they live right outside of Dallas. They may live near. So the next time I <laughs> chat with them, I'll uh, make sure to send them your way. So. Um, but we come to wouldn't be the first anyway, time somebody just, drove from Dallas to Waco. A little shout out. Let me just l- l- put, let me put a yeah. Let me put the broom away, and I'll stop dropping names. So anyway, but First uh, <laughs> Corinthians chapter fifteen verses twelve through twenty, uh, we really come to the heart of what Christian. Once again, fifteen is the heart of what Christianity is all about. 
And uh, St. Paul opens up and he says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and your faith has been in vain. And when I uh, read these, the when, yeah, exactly. When I read these opening sentences, I, I think about the, uh, a survey that went out. It was probably about ten years ago, and uh, it was like Pew Research, and they interviewed something like, uh, you know, something like sixty-five percent of mainline uh, Christians, and then it was something like fifty-five percent of evangelicals, like non-denominational all said that Christianity was not important because of the historicity and the resurrection of Jesus, but rather that it was more important that it worked for you. And, um, and so therefore the resurrection was not important. Now what was going on in Corinth was something very similar. They, you know, essentially these super apostles were like, yeah, 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 the resurrection, whatever, you know, that's, that's not the main thing. You know what I mean? What the main thing is, is, uh, you know, does this work for you? Are you loving more? Are you more charismatic? Are you this? And, uh, and Paul is basically saying, absolutely not. Um, the resurrection of Jesus, the historical fact, is at the very heart, mind, and soul of Christianity. And if we are not preaching resurrection first and foremost— um, and Jesus, or if if we if we if we're not uh, if we're saying that he didn't rise from the dead, then we're uh, or if we're saying he did rise from the dead, and that he didn't, we're misrepresenting God altogether, and we're in big trouble. I saw this picture on the internet, which uh, is apropos here. It was a picture of the flyleaf, the inside front cover of a book, and the question, the title of the book was, "What if Jesus had never been born?" And in this photograph, it's showing that title page, the title of the book, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? And somebody has taken it upon themselves to write their answer to that question on the opposite uh -huh. page, which is, we would all be effed, is basically the the response to that question. And uh, the, I mean, if you could just take that question and say, what if Jesus had never risen from the dead? Well, same yeah. answer. Um, and that's what effed. Paul, yeah. That's so what's, good. That's what, yeah, I mean, Title you can't say show. that from the pulpit <laughs> unless you maybe you're very edgy millennial non-denominational pastor. You go ahead with your tattoos and say that mm -hmm. from the pulpit. I, Jake and I can't do it. Maybe you can. But uh, yeah, it, 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 this is the hope on which everything stands. Um, and because, man, death is the enemy. Death is the unanswerable human problem. And Jesus Christ uh, defeats death. And ultimately, that's... Um, that's the thing. So I'm watching the morning show. Andrew and I just uh -huh. watched the last episode of season three. And I don't want to give too many spoilers away. This is the show with Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. It's Steve Carell. It's got some really brilliant moments. It deals with the Me Too movement, questions of race and power. Uh, and the like. It, it's, it's almost like been made as history has been happening. It has like it deals with the rise of the coronavirus and all. It's like it's it's like watching a documentary from two years ago in real time. And uh, anyways, there's a scene where Jennifer Aniston's character, this uh, anchor of a morning TV show, like a kind of Good Morning America type thing, has this – she's streaming a broadcast and she's just asking somebody, 
what happens when we die? I think nothing happens. I think there's just no afterlife. I think there's nothing. I think you just die. And she says, and that is absolutely terrifying. Mm. It's really candid. And a lot of people think that. And even they don't believe it, at least they would say that out loud, effectually, that is what they believe. Effectively, that is their kind of how they go through life. And gosh, as pastors, you and I, Jake, mm. meet lots of people that are confronting death all the time, either they themselves or their friends and family. And it is... Uh, just stark and hard, and there's there's a lot of grace. And if if Jesus, there's there's just beauty in him beating the beating death and rising from the dead. And if he if he can't raise dead people, then he he, he can't fix you because as the scriptures say, we are dead in our sins, and we yeah. don't need some. We don't. We're not good people who need to get a little bit better. We are um, dead people who need to be raised from the dead. Uh, about 20 years ago, there was a wonderful movie called The Body that came out um, starring Antonio Banderas. And um, uh, there is, uh, and it is all about basically this archaeological dig discovers uh, the body of Jesus. And um, I, uh, and you know, and uh, Antonio Banderas, he plays this uh, priest, I think Father Gutierrez. And, um, and anyway, but his mentor is like so like freaked out about this. Uh, that they found the body that he actually um, uh, kills himself. Uh, but this, you know, and that's the extreme. And at the end, it winds up it's not Jesus's body. It was all a big misunderstanding. <laughs> Sorry. So, but uh, um, but that is the point. I think that um, if if they ever found the body of Jesus, uh, we're out of here tomorrow. You know what I mean? This thing is in vain. And it's not worth it because Christianity is the only religion that hinges completely on this historical fact. I mean, mm. if he didn't rise from the dead, I am 86 tomorrow. Well, not really. I'm just going to tell everybody my plan. I'm going to turn Calvary St. George's into an amazing drug front. But um, the uh, like... <laughs> Laundering money six ways from Sunday. <laughs> totally. Nobody will suspect me. So, but uh, um, it's... It's it's if he didn't raise from the dead, then uh, do what thou wilt, for your faith is in vain. I'll I'll mention this again at. Uh, but I'm Easter. not going to be a nice person. Just saying. <laughs> As if you are now. I mean, what are you implying? Well, I'm, I'm so nice-ish. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a poem by John Updike, the uh, secular poet. Um, and he, it's called Seven Stanzas, Seven Stanzas at Easter. I will not read the whole thing, but yeah, it's worth mentioning. At Easter, I've, I've mentioned it from the pulpit, and, and it's, it's uh, relevant here. The first stanza is, make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecule re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. Let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping, transcendence, making of the event a parable. So it just it goes on, but it's pretty amazing. Bro, um, that is so good. That should be basically everybody's Easter sermon. Uh, yes. This year. I mean, the Thank whole, I, I'm, again, I'm holding myself back from reading the whole thing. He wrote it in 1960. It's unbelievable. Just Google seven stanzas at Easter, John Updike, and you will have. Just a mic drop of a closing illustration for your sermon, if you preach on this passage, or save it for Easter, you know, mm. uh, it, which is coming. It's coming. So uh, Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 26. Order your lilies now, people. Order yeah. those lilies. I already got my Palm Sunday order in. So Sweet, yeah. Yeah. We also we want you guys to be on the ball, uh, yeah. preachers. Anyway. 
Okay. Uh, so here we have this uh, amazing setting, uh, you know, as uh, just to prove that we know a little bit about the Bible. Uh, in Luke, it's called the Sermon on the Plain, not the Sermon on Dude, the Mount. We know a lot. And, um, and uh, here he is, and Jesus is uh, doing what he does. Uh, he's surrounded by the Twelve. There's a great crowd of folks there from all over the place. And uh, they are coming to be healed of their diseases, uh, and they're troubled with unclean spirits, and they're trying to touch him, uh, for he is healing folks. And um, and he gets up and he drops a teaching that is very, very, sounds a lot like the prophet Jeremiah. I just have to back up. I still can't go over the fact that the drummer for Joan Jett went to your dang church. <laughs> Yeah, I'm hung up on that. Praise I mean, he the would, Lord. He would pop in from time to time. Uh, his wife, Stephanie, and their daughter, Brooklyn, were uh, very active, and I baptized them both. So That is so cool. Anyway. I love rock and roll. Put another dime he also, in the jukebox, He also baby. was the uh, drummer for um, Billy Idol's band for a while. Mm-hmm. Dang. So anyway, much. rock wow. the cradle of love. Anyway, that's enough. We're going to put that away. So I anyway. do want to quote here, as you said here at the beginning of talking about this Luke 6 passage how we do know stuff about the Bible. There's a relevant Nacho Libre quote here. Mm. The brothers don't think I know a crap load about the Gospels, but I do. Jake's <laughs> laughing, everybody, his silent laugh. I, that is a great movie. It's like it's amazing. I, I believe in science. Yeah, that's right. His baptism where he sneaks up behind the guy and plunges his head into a bucket. So Praise good. the Lord. Okay. So, but All anyway, right. there. here we are, the Sermon on the Plain. Yeah, so uh, a level place, coast of Tyre and Sidon. It's important that those people are coming, not just people from Judea and Jerusalem. Because they have because sat in darkness. They have sat, and they are the Philistines, basically. These are the lifelong, millennia-long enemies of the Jewish people. And don't uh, forget, we're still in Epiphany. Old Testament. Yeah, and it's, you know, this is the revealing that even the people from Tyre and Sidon, the unwashed masses, the Gentiles, they're coming to hear him, and and Jesus heals them. This is the miraculous, crazy Mm. thing. It's like, as we saw earlier in this season of Epiphany, Jesus saying that, reminding the people in Nazareth that God healed Naaman the Syrian, and he gave miracle food to the widow uh, who was also from this area of Tyre and Sidon, you know, so... um, this is the continued revealing. I think there's a lot of things that strike me about this passage. One is the deeply moving, poignant picture of human need. Just everybody's trying to touch him. People are so in need. People are so desperate. People are so hurting. And you need to see your congregations. So many preachers uh, have compartmentalized and repressed their own brokenness and needs so much. And they've got it locked up so tightly in the vault that they're in denial to themselves about it that they look at their congregation as people who can who are who are not broken as well. They're in denial with themselves about their mm-hmm. own brokenness, so they look at their congregation as not being broken, and mm-hmm. they think their congregation can actually do the things that the preacher is telling them to do. They think that the preacher can get into the pulpit and say, do this, that, or the other thing, and that the people will be like, yes, we can. Uh, and it's just not true because um, people are like this in this passage. They're desperate. They're desperate mm-hmm. to touch somebody who can help them in any way um, mm-hmm. uh, because they need power and they need help. Uh, they need power that they don't have within themselves. They can't do it. And so then he goes on to explain who these people are. They are poor. They are hungry. They're weeping. They're hated. They're excluded. Um, and this again this is jesus we get the sense that jesus gave this 
sermon a lot because he mm-hmm. did it on the mount. He did it mm-hmm. on the plane. He gave this. This was kind of his stump speech. He he would have repeated this throughout his three year ministry, and. Um, this is a really consistent message from him where he, he sees so clearly the human condition, the human predicament. Mm. So as, as you preach this, again, like we did in the Jeremiah passage, you preach on that one, like giving examples of what people are actually going through, um, the, the, um, the grief, the pain, the difficulty, the, the um, frustration with oneself and one's own inability to get one's life together mm. and to say that in the midst of that, that's where God works. That does not mean God has abandoned you, but it means that that's where God is working. Blessed are you who are poor, for Amen. yours is the kingdom of God. So, I don't know, what, would you, what um, choice illustrations would you have or further elucidations of this text, Jacobus? <clears throat> Well, I think, uh, you know, uh, unlike the um, the Gospel of Matthew, um, uh, Jesus delivers not only blessings here, uh, but he also delivers curses. And, um, and I think it's important when you're preaching on um, this particular passage, it's really easy to veer into the law, world of law and do when you read, blessed I- like, blessed are you if you are poor. Yeah. Blessed, do not put the if in there. Uh, what Luke is doing is demonstrating that Jesus is the Messiah who delivers both messianic blessings and uh, curses. And so this is very uh, rooted in like Jewish tradition here where the Messiah delivers blessings and curses. And these are not if-then statements. These are descriptions. And like the passage in Jeremiah, it's both and. This is You are both and in this age as a Christian. You are poor. You are hungry now. You are the one who weeps. You are a person who is reviled. But you're also rich, you know what I mean? And you also yeah. uh, um, uh, are full and are laughing now. And it's not about like, um, but it is recognizing that two sides exist within you. Um, and uh, there is one to whom you can go. Uh, because um, there's a Tyree and Sidon in all of us. And uh, there is an unfaithful Judea in Jerusalem in all of us. But there is one whom you can go to be healed. There is one to whom you can go who will clean your unclean spirit. And uh, on the last day, he will raise you from the dead and hope in his name. You will hear clearly, blessed are you on that last day. And I think this passage is almost like a reverse of the Jeremiah in terms that it begins with the the people Mm. who are trusting in the Lord. Yes. And then it ends with the people who are trusting in themselves. Mm. And so it shows that the people at the beginning who are trusting the Lord, they're doing so because they have nothing else to trust in. They're poor, yeah, they're right. hungry, they're weeping. Like they're in that place of need and brokenness. They're, they've hit their bottom and they're reaching out to God. And the people then, the, the woes are given to the people who are um, trusting in themselves because everything's going great. But I think you're so right to say that, you know, these things, these states can exist simultaneously in the same person and in the Christian. And here's where I want to issue a a, a rant and a declaration, a manifesto of sorts. Mm. Um, I want to tell our listeners that if you take the very true thing that Jacob Smith has said on this podcast, that these states exist at the same time in both people, and if you take that and you run to that old horrible thing you see printed on like t-shirts usually like black t-shirts at truck stops that have what is a supposedly native american saying printed on it the saying being and i've heard preachers talk about this you know quote this inside every human heart are two wolves 
the wolf of evil and the wolf of light. And they're in a battle. And you know which one will win? And it's, you know, it's put more eloquently than this. You know, it's the one yeah. you feed the most. And so mm-hmm. then they end with something like, make sure you feed the good wolf inside you. Make sure you, like, you know, and it's with, of course, the it's standard, called, like, religious list. That's called Marcionism. So, <laughs> Well, it's it's called a lot of things. BS yeah. is what I call it. But it's, uh, you know. Truck these, um, stop religion. Yeah. So, yes, these two things exist inside you. And then don't then turn into some sort of application principle of like, so make sure you mm-hmm. feed the good wolf and starve the bad wolf by like, you know, don't don't look at anything that makes you lust. Don't uh, watch uh, TV that's vapid. Make sure you feed the good wolf by reading your Bible more and only listening to Christian music. Um, really pre- 2005 Christian music, um, you, you know, whatever the rules may be, you know, feed the good wolf, block the bad. And that just turns it all into another law, which actually feeds, you know, if we're going with this wolf metaphor, feeds the bad wolf because it just feeds more of this idea that yourself is in control and can make yourself better. So don't do that with this passage and this simultaneous good and bad that's inside people. The, what you what needs to be done in that reality is to just cling to Jesus Praise God. Uh, and, uh, and trust in him. Uh, and he's the one that will. And the reason we know that we can't do any of this on our own strength is because Jesus does not finish the Sermon on the Plain and say, well, there you go, I've given it to you. Now, good luck, my ministry is done. Lord, uh, could you beam me up? He doesn't. He stays, he preaches this sermon over and over again. People don't do it. And then he has to die on the cross and rise from the dead. Mm-hmm. So he he has to do more than just tell us what to do. So note that that this is not something that people can just do on their own. It's all about what Jesus has done for us, which should be the message from your pulpit every Sunday. Amen. Well, it's good. Without Jesus, we're well, left. So <laughs> see you next week, folks. Get ready for Lent. It's coming. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.